You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. We'll look at two verses of Scripture, 27 and 28. And it says this, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. I want to preach to you if I can this morning from this simple thought, man's first instructions. Man's first instructions. I think there's a powerful spiritual application here for us, and we so often miss. Man's first instructions. Will you lay your Bibles down, and let's one more time ask the Lord to have His way this morning in this service. Lord, in Jesus' name, I thank You for the opportunity we have to serve you today, to worship you, to gather together in your name. I thank you for your word, which is anointed and mighty. I ask this morning that you would have liberty in our hearts, that you can speak to our soul. Anoint my mind and my mouth today as I try to deliver what you've laid in my heart. And I pray, God, that you would quicken it to our life in Jesus' name. And somebody said in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Why don't you greet somebody one more time? Tell them I'm glad I'm not alone. I'm glad I'm not alone. Amen. Amen. I hope everyone has a great holiday tomorrow as we honor and celebrate MLK Day, Martin Luther King, and thank God for, amen, what... Uh, was accomplished, amen, through his leadership and vision. I always like to say this. uh, Most people, uh, uh, I I would suspect many people, are only aware of of the one uh, speech that he gave. uh, His uh, famous, uh, I have a dream speech, but there were many, many sermons of his that were very inspiring. And uh, so maybe in honor of that, I always like to pull up And uh, listen, go back to some of his old sermons. I have a collection of his sermons on cassette tape, uh, but it's hard to find a tape player. But thank God for YouTube. So uh, check some of those out and uh, some of his preaching. How many love the Word of God? I love the Word of God, and I thank God for His Word. Um, Martin Luther King was a preacher first and uh, a pastor and a preacher And some of uh, his other sermons, less known sermons, I think uh, are genius. They are so inspirational, so powerful. And I enjoy listening. I enjoy listening to sermons and his communications, but it is the theology or the understanding of the Word of God that propelled things like his I Have a Dream speech. Those were thoughts and ideas that were (coughs) rooted and grounded in the Word of God. Of God, we we stand in a in a day and age where we find great irony, and we find great dissonance in what we say and what we practice, in how things uh, uh, 
uh, shape up in our world and in our culture. And I say our culture because it's the culture that I was raised in, the culture that I live in, the culture you live in. It is our culture. We own it. But even though we are in the world, we are not to be of the world. And the Bible must inform everything that we think about. The Bible must inform everything in our heart, our soul, and our mind. I taught about it the other Wednesday night when we uh, spoke on letting the Word of God have authority in our life. The Bible must inform everything. And so I'm thankful for the Word of God. Now, there are times where Bible-believing people get it wrong. And because of that, sometimes people will dismiss God and His Word because someone that claimed to be a believer got something wrong. But I'm going to tell you the Bible, the Word of God is always true. And you can always stand upon the Word of God. We preach and we teach the preeminence of the Word of God. It is above, amen, the pastor. It is above the bishop. It's above his opinion because it's the Word of God. I am pastor only in as much as the Word of God leverages me to be pastor in this local congregation. And so like as the, the, the Word of God would have been the very thing that would have informed uh, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King in his preaching and in his talking from fundamental basic theology of creation, that we are all created equal, that there is not one that is better than another or higher than another. That understanding comes right from this passage in Genesis. So God created man in His own image, that every single person was created in the image of God. And understanding that, we know that one is not better than the other. Uh, we talked about it this past Wednesday when we talked about uh, let us pray, how to pray, the pattern the Lord gave us. He said this, start out by saying, our Father. You don't start out by saying, my Father. You start out by saying, our Father. The very first words you pray is an acknowledgement that I am just one among many, that I'm not better than everybody else, that I don't have a corner on the market with God. But as I pray to God, so can you pray to God. And the same God that hears my prayers and puts blessings in my life can hear your prayers and put blessings in your life. We thank God for that understanding. They were made in the image of God. Christ says that no man hath seen God at any time. He is a spirit. And you cannot see Him. He transcends uh, uh, the physical universe. Uh, we, we cannot tangibly connect with Him. He is infinite. We are finite. We are mortal. He is immortal. He is a spirit. We are flesh and bones. Yes, we have a soul and a spirit, but we are flesh and bones. But in the image of God, that word image there, it means semblance or resemblance, the capable uh, uh, being capable of, of things that are similar. It also can mean a mere image, which means it's empty in and of itself. That it has certain capabilities, but it is not the real thing. We were made in the image of God, in His likeness, meaning that we can think, we can process things in our mind, in our soul. We can 
love and be loved. We can feel emotion. We can understand those things. We can take on the character's traits of God. His holiness, His righteousness can become us. His love, His mercy, and His grace. It does not mean that God is up there in heaven as so often we, we, we uh, have artists rendering with some kind of a, uh, uh, two arms and two legs. He's a spirit. He's not confined to that. He's not limited to that. But we were made in the image of God. And then he goes on and says, in the image of God created he him. That's singular, talking about Adam, who he first started with. And then he goes on, male and female created he them. And that's plural. He's talking about now what he did after he created Adam, male and female. But notice this is still in the same verse, in the same context, made in the image of God. You are made in the image of God. Whether you are male or whether you are female, you are made in the image of God. That right there, you have equal value. This is an understanding that we get from theology out of Genesis chapter number 1. And not every believer has gotten it right. And not every person that has manifest or claimed to be a follower of Christ has gotten it right. And so certain people have mistakenly rejected God and they have rejected His people. But I'm here to say that the Word of God is true. And it is the Word of God that must inform how I think and how I believe because it is the Word of God that is true. We live in a day and age where we are seeing identity crises like never before. In the history of antiquity, we are seeing such confusion. We are seeing confusion that is matching and surpassing that of the Babylonians and the Greeks and the Romans and other empires, the confusion in our world. It is not without great fallout. It is not without great penalty, great pain, and great suffering. The, the identity crisis is manifest in one way in our world. It is manifest through the absurdity of what we now identify as the gender crisis. Men not knowing if they're men, and females not knowing if they're females. The confusion, not understanding all of these things. Masculinity is attacked. Femininity is taken to uh, a, a place of exploitation. This is the culture in which we live in. And the irony, the, the dissonance that we see is that while we live in a culture that on one hand claims that gender is just a state of mind, we have seen the rise of gender reveals in pregnancy like the world has never seen. Where we are at one hand saying, I can be whatever I want to be in my mind, and on the other hand, we are still acknowledging the absolute voice of science and biology. This is the dissonance that we live in today in this world. And it is being attacked it is a crisis. Don't worry. Don't get nervous here this morning. I'm not here to offend anyone. I'm not here to talk against anyone. But I am here to declare that we must let the Word of God inform our theology and inform 
our understanding. We are living in a dangerous day because culture and society is reaching ever more to youth at a young, young age trying to input their ideas and their ideology. The world is confused and the reason why they are confused is because they have rejected the concept of a creator. I'm here to tell you that we can't get past Genesis chapter 1. We can't expect acts to happen. We can't expect the miracles and the blessings and the wonders of the book of Acts to happen until we have a foundation of Genesis chapter number 1. And while we've been focusing for many years on people receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost, which is the greatest thing, we have come to a place of neglect in teaching the preeminence of understanding that God is our creator and we are creation. And when God is taken out, when the idea and the concept of a creator is taken out, the concept of a heavenly father is removed. It is politically incorrect in our day and age. When it is removed, people are left with no answer. We all ask the question, who am I? We all want to know who we are. And in to try the attempt to discover who we are, there's a follow-up question that says, where did I come from? Why am I here? You cannot know who you are until you know where you came from and why you're here. And I'm not just talking about the shallow understanding of who your mommy and who your daddy was and the reason and the circumstances that you were conceived in. But the ultimate answer to who I am is summed up in where did I come from? You came from Almighty God. You came from a God who reached down in earth and He formed you out of the dust of the earth. Why am I here? You're here so you can know His glory. You're here so you can know His love. You're here so you can know His grace and you can know His mercy. That's the why and the where and that's who you are. I'm a child of the King. I have a Father in heaven that I can call any day at any time. Hallelujah. When you know who you are and you're secure in who you are, you don't worry about the noise that's happening around you in your life, in your culture. But we live in a world that has an identity crisis. I'm here to tell you, you are not an accident. The Bible doesn't teach you're an accident. The world may teach you're an accident. The world may teach you're a mistake, but the Bible does not teach you're an accident. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. The Bible does not teach you are a mistake. It may have been an oops or a mistake that somebody thought they were in with, that brought you about the circumstances, but God knew. God is the one that puts a soul in that body. God was the one that put a spirit, amen, in that DNA when it was conceived in the womb. That was not your mom and your dad. That was God. And God had a purpose. And God had a plan. Why? Because He's a Redeemer. It doesn't matter how dark the situation was that you were born into. God is a Redeemer. God is a Restorer. God is a Waymaker. And you are not a mistake. You're not an accident. That thought process comes from the world. It comes from a place. It comes from a day and age. Amen. In which we have rejected God. But it informs me here that every male, every female, every person was made in the image of God. 
That's why that we uh, would wholeheartedly, I, I, I don't involve myself or say a whole lot. I have opinions about a lot of politics and a lot of things that are going on, but where I do stand and speak unashamed, amen, without, with love, but where I speak unashamed is when the Bible is very clear and it's drawn lines. I, I have to stand today and say that I will always defend the sanctity of life. I understand circumstances, I understand situations, I understand the tragedy of our culture today is that in many ways we have made it easier to kill a life than to provide for a life or to redeem a situation. We have made it a shame in our culture uh, uh, for certain people maybe to bring certain uh, human beings into the world, babies into this world, and we make it easier. We, we live in a culture, amen, that almost wants to condemn somebody for bringing a child into the world that, that might be uh, 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 have some kind of handicap or deformity, amen. But that's because when you take a creator out and we're just the process of evolution merely without God having any acts, creation, uh, uh, nature gets it wrong. And so we are so easy to dispose of things. Can I tell you, God does not want to dispose of you. God does not want to dispose of anybody. My theology is not formed by my opinion. It's not formed by the stories or the circumstances that I see or by politicians. My understanding is informed by the Word of God and every single person that lives is made in the image of God. That's why the same reason that I can stand up and say that abortion is wrong is the very same theology that allows me to stand up and say that prejudice is wrong because there are no accidents. There are no mistakes. We are all made in the image of God. Hallelujah. And somebody say amen. Oh, clap your hands unto the Lord this morning. Hallelujah. 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 And the church is in the redeeming business. We are in the redeeming business. Amen. Amen. If you're here today and you've been guilty of certain things, amen, in your life, God is a restorer and He's a redeemer. So, so I believe that God can give forgiveness. He does. He gives forgiveness to people that have prejudice in their life. He gives uh, mercy and grace to people that uh, uh, may have uh, uh, gone through an abortion. Those are hard things. But I'm going to tell you, God is so great. And God is so loving that God can heal and God can redeem and God can restore. And so I'm here today to say don't let your past, amen, dictate where you're at. But let that same God that loved you. You may make mistakes, but God says you're not a mistake. It was not a mistake. He brought us into the world knowing we were going to make mistakes. But He brought us into the world so that He could love us through those mistakes. And we go on in Genesis chapter 1 and now we come to God's first commands that He gives to man. Man's first instructions. God gives us commands. And when He gives us commands, the word command, we're afraid of the word command in 2019 because the word command has with it the connotation that I have to do this or I'm forced to do this. And I would like to open up or, or uh, draw your attention to the fact that God, while He gives us commands, he gives us free will because Adam and Eve ultimately would later on reject God's commands, would not listen to them, would, would do their own thing. So there is no command. God is not forcing us to do anything. But He gives to us a command or an instruction, instruction 
that is in our best interest. In our best interest for longevity of life, for the best thing that we could have. And man's first instructions are found here in chapter 1, verse number 28. This is the first instructions that he gives. Now, he goes on later, and in chapter 1 he talks about how Adam and Eve, male and female, created he them. And then in chapter 2 he's going to go on and go through the details. And he's going to talk about how he saw Adam and out of Adam... After he formed him from the dust of the earth, he took a rib from Adam's side and he, he created Eve out of that. And there they were together and they were blessed and it was good. But, but And then he'll go on and talk about in the garden and the, and, and the uh, instructions that he gave. But here is the first commands. In the very first chapter, God directs Moses to pen this before he goes through the details. And so the law of first mention would understand that the first time that something is said, this is, this is the important thing. This is the summary, if you will. There were two things that God gave in this chapter and verse. And that was, number one, be fruitful. Number one, be fruitful. And then the second one, he says, was subdue or have dominion. Have dominion. Today, I want to talk about it. It was in a literal physical sense. And when God gave it to Adam and Eve, those commands are still carried out in the physical realm. Yes, but that's not what we want to apply today because we are in a spiritual kingdom and we understand that God's kingdom is spiritual. And so while in the literal sense, in the physical sense, God was saying be fruitful and multiply, we can take that and we can make the application to our spiritual context as well for us Today, now it still rings true. God never rescinded this command. This command is still going forth. God says to them, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. One of the greatest gifts that God gives to humankind is it within us the power to create, or what we would say, procreate. God is the author. He is the starter. But God gives to us. He gives to us the, the, uh, uh, the, the measure of life, and He leaves it to us to handle. The world has perverted it. The world has polluted it. The world has messed with it. And, and, but God gave to us this great gift, but yet this great responsibility. Be fruitful and multiply. Now we understand that all of this was in the context of Adam and Eve in the garden having relationship with God. God never intended for man to be fruitful and multiply outside of the context of right relationship with the Lord. And so what God was saying was, He's given to you the gift of life, and you ought to duplicate yourself. That relationship, a life in right relationship with the Lord is not just good enough, amen, to be in right relationship all by itself. But you ought to duplicate. It's the greatest way that you can glorify God. You duplicate that. And so from that, then in the physical, he says, go and subdue the earth. So let's make the spiritual analogy here for us. God wants us to be fruitful in our life. He does not want our life to be a dead end. God does not want your life to be a dead end. 
God did not bless you so you could hoard the blessings for yourself. God did not give you a measure of joy just so that you can smile and be happy on your own. But God wants to flow through you and bless your life. He wants to bless you and He wants to put great things in you. But then He wants there to be fruit from that. He wants there to be fruit that comes from that. If you would, go with me to the book of Galatians chapter number 5. And verses 22 and 23. And here we see in the book of Galatians, Paul telling us about the fruitfulness of a child of God. The fruitfulness of somebody who is born again. Somebody that is filled with the Spirit. And he says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, Goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such. Look at this. Against such, there is no law. You know what he was saying? He was saying when you get the fruit of the Spirit inside of your life, there is no need for any rules. There is no need for any law because you will be living right. You will be living to the fullness that God has for you, that God has given you. And so the first thing that we are instructed to do is to be fruitful. Be fruitful in your life. Let there be fruit of your life. Let there be fruit of the works of God. Let the Spirit of God, amen, produce fruit in your life. You say, well, what are you talking about? Well, let's go to Matthew chapter number 7. And in Matthew chapter number 7, the Lord tells us here in what we call the Sermon on the Mount, in verse number 15 and, and uh, uh, through 20, here's what the Lord says. He comes to us and He tells us, Beware of false prophets. Here we are. We're talking about people that claim to be followers of God, but they're not measuring up to Scripture. Remember, we just talked about that. He said, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are raving, raving wolves. And he goes on and he says in verse 16, You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorn or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree which bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth, here it is, evil fruit. Amen. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. What's he telling us? He's telling us, don't be a corrupt tree. Don't let the things that come out of your life be evil and iniquity. When God has put love in your life, don't pass hate to your brother. When God has put mercy in your life, don't hold resentment over your sister. When God has put blessing in your life, amen, don't let greed, amen, be the thing that comes out. Every tree that bringeth forth not good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. He's saying there will be judgment. When you're out there and you're tending a vineyard, when you're tending a grove, if there's a tree that's not producing, what does the farmer do? They cut that down and make room for another one. I don't know about you, but I don't want my life to be producing evil fruit. I don't want God to walk through the church and say, nope, it's time to get rid of you and make room for another. I don't want to be unfruitful. And then he goes on and he says, wherefore, by their fruits, 
you shall know them. God called you to be fruitful. That means God did not give you the baptism of the Holy Ghost just so you could feel goosebumps up and down your back. Just so that you could speak in a language that you've never spoken and tell somebody else something supernatural happened to you. No, God puts His Spirit inside of your life so that you can walk in the middle of a dark situation when everybody else is worried and don't have the answer. And you can say, hey, I know an answer. I've got a God. Amen. He can heal the sick. He can raise the dead. Hear me, somebody. He can make a way when there is no way. God puts fruit in your life, amen, so that you can be a person of faith, so that you can be a person of a love. There ought to be fruitfulness in your life. Tell somebody this is your first instruction. Your first instruction. This is where we start. Be fruitful. Be fruitful and multiply. Duplicate yourself. Duplicate yourself. But the context was that within the right relationship with the Lord. Right relationship with the Lord. Can I tell you, it is our responsibility. It is an instruction, amen, for us to be what we call soul winners. Soul winners. Soul winners. That's an instruction. You don't get off the hook. You say, well, I come to church. I come to church. You don't get off the hook. God has instructed you to be a soul winner. God has instructed you to be a life giver. Is this all right this morning? Is this okay? God wants you to be fruitful. He wants you to multiply. I thank God that the church is growing. And we've got, I think, three babies coming this year. Praise God. That's one way to grow a church. We thank God for that. But just as God gave us the ability in the natural, God so also gives us the instruction in the spiritual. Amen. We are to multiply, duplicate yourself. The testimony you have, you ought to see God duplicate that testimony in somebody else. The same circumstance that God's brought you through, God brought you through so that you could then go to somebody else in that same circumstance and say, hey, He kept me, He can keep you. Hey, He provided for me, He can provide for you. Hey, He got inside of my heart. Can I tell you, we don't have to, when we say soul winners, we ought to get out on the street. We ought to knock doors. We ought to go up to people. We ought to reach out. But can I tell you, you don't have to have the pressure of, oh, I've got to go knock a thousand doors today, or I'm not going to be right with God. No, you just live your life naturally and in right relationship with the Lord. You're automatically going to come in contact with people that have a need for God. And when you brush up against them, greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. Amen. And my faith is greater than their fear. Hallelujah. My love is stronger than their hate. Amen. And you let the power of the Holy Ghost work through you. I'm going to tell you, your handshake and your smile to that neighbor that's been cussing you out for years, you don't stop. You don't quit. You just keep on being like Jesus. And if you be like the Lord sooner or later, amen, somebody's going to say, I don't know what it is. It drives me nuts, but I need it inside of my heart. And God's Spirit will work naturally in your life. Not only that, you duplicate, amen, to our parents, you duplicate yourself through your children. And that can be a scary thing. Because your children are going to be duplicates to a certain measure. Now they're going to grow and they're going to have to make their own decision. But they're going to be duplicates to you for good 
or for bad, for better or for worse. And so God, I pray that my children see me praying, see me worshiping, and then when I'm behind closed doors, let them see me loving my spouse. Let them see me being faithful. Don't let there be a dissonance and, and, and an irony in my life. Don't let me be one thing in the church house and then another thing when I go home. But let my life have fruit of the Spirit. And somebody said amen. So I come to a close with the second instruction that God gives to us in Genesis chapter number 1, and that is this. He says, not only are you to be fruitful, and here it is, here's where we're at. He says, but I want you to subdue the earth. And I want you to subdue every creature that's living, walking. I want you to subdue every fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, everything that moveth upon the earth. I want you to subdue it. And he says, you have dominion. Take dominion and have dominion over them. Have dominion. So God puts man on the earth. He tells him, be fruitful. And the second thing he says is have dominion. Take dominion. Now, he was not saying that we have a right and a license to go around with violence and just irregardless and carelessly take life and and, and destroy things. That's not what he was saying. No, in fact, Adam was to be a keeper. He was to be a keeper. He was to cultivate. He was to cultivate things. He was to see that life would flourish, not to wipe it out. The Bible goes on later on. And, and, and again, our, our theology is informed by Scripture. The Bible goes later on in other places. And it, and it speaks against animal cruelty in Scripture. We don't just go out there and, and, and uh, violently have, have some kind of a just mean spirit. That the Bible speaks against. And people have taken that and say, well, you know, the Bible, all this slaughter of sacrifice. No, uh, what was, was just man just destroying animals. Absolutely not. God was saying you, to be, you are to be the cultivator. You are the custodians. You are, you are to honor. And, 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 and the problem or, or the issue with the sacrifices was not that God or man hated animals or were irregardless. It was so bloody and gory that God said sin is so horrible... Sin is so horrible, and, and, and to tell you how horrible it is, you've got to do this heinous thing. You've got to do this horrible thing. Can you imagine? It was not intended. God never intended for them to go and to sacrifice the, the, the goats and the bulls and, and, and the turtle doves and everything and to have pleasure in that. No, every time that the priest would execute sacrifice, there was to be something in their heart that was sort of, it was taken away, this life is gone. There was a grieving in their spirit, but they did it because they knew the penalty of sin. They knew how great sin was. That was the cost of sin. The ripping of the flesh, the bleeding of life. That was to destroy it. But God always loved His creatures. But to man, He said take dominion. Don't destroy, but take dominion. You are not to be overrun by those things. Those things are not to dictate your life. Those things are not to control you. You are not to be the one that is hunted. You are not to be the one, amen, that is in fear and in torment. But God says, I am giving you instruction to take dominion as that played out in the physical realm. So it does in the spiritual realm. God has given us instruction. When we are in right relationship with the Lord, He says be fruitful and take 
dominion. That means that you are not to be overrun by this life. Life is not to run you around. Life is not to throw you around. You are not to be subject to it. But you are to take dominion over your life. Can I tell you, I think too often we have people that are sitting on pews filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost living beneath our privileges. I am here today to give you license to take authority, to take dominion in your life over every emotional issue, over every spiritual issue in your life, and over life itself. Take dominion. This is rubber meets the road preaching this morning. Is this all right? Can I just get real? Can I get real real with you tonight? All right. If I'm, or, or this morning. If I'm going to get real real with you this morning, I would say this. You are to take dominion. Your finances should not be running you around. Now, this is not prosperity gospel. This is the Word of God. This, this, is, this is theology from the Word of God. Do we go through hard times? Absolutely. Are there times where money's tight? Absolutely. But you take dominion. We could also insert the word responsibility in there. Take dominion. Take responsibility. Don't let that dictate your life. So many times people are prayer requests before the Lord. They're real. They're true. But they're things that God wants us to take authority over. You can take dominion over your finances. Now, not everybody. Sometimes bad things happen to good people. I get that. I understand that. But as a general rule, as a general rule, I ought to be able to take dominion over that. I ought to be able to take dominion in my finances. You know where I start? I start with my tithe. I start with my offerings. I start with putting God first. And I'm going to take dominion. My finances are not going to dictate me. I'm going to dictate my finances. I'm going to tell my finances, we're going to put God first. And when we put God first, God's going to provide. I may not have all I want, but I'm going to have all I need every single day of my life. Not only that, your health. Take dominion over your health. Is this all right this morning? This is rubber meets the road preaching. Take dominion over your health. Stop being subject to all those things. Get it. Maybe, maybe a resolution. God, I want to get off some of this medication. I want to take, I want to change some things that I'm doing in my life. I'm going to take dominion in my life. Let's get a little closer. Let's take dominion in our relationships. Let's say, hey, our relationship, this, this, this has got to stop being something that tears people down or where we're weary. No, we are going to have love in our home. Whether you like it or not, we're going to have love in our home. Hello? Is this all right? Take dominion in your life. God has given you authority. You're not subject. You say, well, I don't know what I can do. Well, I'll tell you what you can do. The first thing you can do is you can take it to God in prayer. And you can say, God, lead me, Lord. Tell me, show me what I'm going to do in my life. What do I want to do? Take dominion in your life. The Bible tells me. That I don't have to have a spirit of fear. Take dominion in your life. The Bible tells me that I don't have to have anxiety in my life. Now, I'm not talking about sometimes being afraid and sometimes being anxious. Sometimes is, is a sometime, but I'm talking about the culture of your life. Amen. I don't have to have anxiety in my life, but there can be peace in my life. There can be joy in my heart. There could be joy in my heart. Can I tell you, there's an old song they used to sing, There's Sunshine in the Shadows. Anybody remember that song? Sunshine in the Rain. 
Amen. I'm going to tell you, that was, that was old timers taking dominion in their life. That it doesn't matter how it is. I'm going to have dominion in my life. When I come in on Sunday, I don't always feel like getting up Sunday morning because sometimes I stayed up too late on Saturday night and whatever it is. But when I come Sunday morning, I'm taking dominion in my life. And I'm saying, no, we're going to the house of God. If I have to go to church or if I have to go to work, I get to go to church. And so I'm going to the house of the Lord. And you take dominion in your life. And I'm going to tell you, when you put God first, it is amazing what God will do inside of your heart and your soul and your life. Take dominion. Neutralize the enemy. That's the first thing they try to do in every, in every encounter, whenever there's a conflict, whenever there's an engagement. The first thing you want to do is neutralize the enemy. Neutralize his weapons. Neutralize. And I'm going to tell you, in the spiritual realm, you can neutralize the enemy in your life. James said, resist the devil and he will flee from you. James tells us, neutralize the enemy. Take dominion. Say, "Uh uh-uh. Paul said it this way. Paul said, give no place to the devil. What does that mean? That means take dominion. Shut the doors on that. Lock it out. Tune it out in your heart. Take dominion in your life. If you're in fear, if you're in doubt, if you're in despair, take dominion in your life. How does that look? Well, I'll tell you, if if you are always in fear for your life, if you have great anxiety in your life, maybe you could start, start by taking things out that are putting fear in your heart. Amen? If a child of God ought not have a spirit of fear, if a child of God ought not have anxiety in your life, then should a child of God really be subjecting themselves to things like horror movies and other kinds of things that are inciting fear in their heart? No, you shouldn't be exciting those things in your life. If a child of God is to be pure, should a child of God really be setting up uh, uh, immorality, scenes of immorality for them to consume and to watch in their life? No. If a child of God is to be born again and set free, take dominion in your life. Take those things out that are tempting you. Take those things out that destroy you. Amen. The child of God. He, amen, that is set free. He that the Son has set free is free indeed. Amen. It's time we take dominion in our life. It's time we take dominion. Why? Because God has given us authority. Born again believers should not be addicted to certain things in this world, things in this life, pornography, chemical addictions, other things in this life. We ought to be able to take dominion in our life. God has given us victory. God has given us hope. And this is our first instructions. This is our first instructions. As they come to the music, I I close with this. Every single day, every single day is another day to make a new choice. You're going to choose every day. I don't believe that, I don't believe that we sin because we are bound by sin. If you have been truly repentant, baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the baptism of the Spirit of the Lord, The purpose of His Spirit is to give us power, give us victory over sin. Now, do born-again believers still make mistakes and do things they ought not? Yes. Paul said, the good that I would, I do not, and that which I would not, that I do. 
And he said, someday I'm ready for this flesh to be gone from me. I, I, I have never, I've been thankful that I was raised in a home that knew no addiction. I, I thank God. I am very privileged and blessed. I have a life. I've, I've never tasted drugs. I've never, I never flirted with that in, 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 in life, but had some close friends and, and, and family that did. Some ended in tragedy. So I saw it up close, but it was never later on in my life, but never was it around my heart. I don't believe that you sin without making the choice to sin. I do know that some of my friends and others have told me that you know they, they have been filled with the Spirit of the Lord and living for God for decades. And, and one preacher told me, he said, it's the weirdest thing. He said he was, he was a heavy user. And he says, sometimes I will wake up in the middle of the night. He said, he said, it doesn't happen very often. It's very rare. He said, but there have been times where I'll wake up in the middle of the night out of a, out of a dead sleep. And he said, I've got this crave to go back to the things that God brought me out of, the drugs that God brought him out of. And he said, I don't understand it. He said, but my flesh, it's like it's reaching back. My flesh is reaching back. And I said, what do you do? He said, well, immediately I start praying. Jesus' name, pleading the blood until it's gone. He said, I don't want anything to do with that. And it, but he said, but, it, but it'll come back. And, and you may or may not have ever been tempted with drugs or certain things and that. But your flesh and my flesh, it's still flesh. And when God saves us and God keeps us and brings us through, we can be saved for 20 years, or 30 years, or whatever. And all of a sudden, out of the middle of nowhere in life, you can be listening to gospel music, whatever you want to, listening to preaching, and all of a sudden, there's this, your flesh, your flesh will reach back to something way back, and there's a crave for something that you know is not right. And here's where you take dominion because the Bible says he told them subdue. What did he say? Every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And here's the greatest challenge. I am a living thing that's moving on the earth. And I can't just neutralize the enemy and I can subdue everything else. But the biggest thing I've got to subdue is my own flesh. My own flesh. You say, well, do you ever have lust? Do you ever have temptations? Do you ever have prides? And absolutely. Because every single one of us do. But you've got to subdue it. And you take dominion. And because God gave us the instruction to subdue it and take dominion, I know I can. Don't let anybody tell you you can't. Don't let any preacher say, well, well, you're just living with that sin and you just, you, you, God's got grace enough and you just keep on. God's mercy is going to cover it. No, no, no. I'll tell you how great God's grace and mercy is. His mercy is so great that God says, I died on a cross so that your sins could be washed away. What is it? If, if His sins are, are the allegory or if His blood is the allegory of washing my, my blood-stained carnal things white as snow, well then the allegory breaks down if I'm able to just keep sinning every day. 
No, he says, wash them white as snow. All gone. The biggest battle that you and I will fight in our life is subduing our own flesh. Taking authority over our own flesh. Saying, no, I'm going to subdue this. I'm going to subdue it. You're not going to succeed in life until you understand this principle. That's where our culture of indulgence, we live in a culture of indulgence. And we live in a culture of excess. It trickles down into everything. I'm a product, I, I'm guilty, I'm a part of culture with you. But we've got to subdue our flesh. Subdue it. Bad choices that we make. Would you stand together with me? So every day is a choice. Every day is a choice. Every single day I've got a choice. So today you've got a choice. I don't know what you walked in with. I don't know what you carried. I don't know what you fought this week. I don't know what you will face in the weeks to come. But every day is a choice. If you've never repented of your sins, you need to repent of your sins. If you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, you need to be baptized in Jesus' name. If you don't understand that, I'd love to give you a little Bible study on it. Just take a few minutes. If you've never been filled with the baptism of the Spirit of the Lord, you need the baptism of the Spirit of the Lord because my preaching isn't good enough to keep you through the week. I wish it was, but it's going to fall short every single time because you need the supernatural power of the Holy Ghost inside of your life. But when you get the power of the Holy Ghost in your life, now you've got power. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. What? To be witnesses. What? To be fruitful. To take dominion. To fulfill what God gave us. So every day now, I've got power. I've got a choice. I have a choice to forgive. I have a choice to repent. A choice to be baptized. A choice to allow God's Spirit live in my life. A choice for joy. A choice for peace. A choice for righteousness in my life. Everything I've got. It's a choice in my life. I don't have to let anything else run my life. I can choose. God, I want your Spirit inside of my life. Don't let jealousy, don't let hatred, don't let anger, don't let your temper get the best of you. Don't let life get the best of you. Make the choice, God, I need you in my life. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? God, in Jesus' name.